Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us for the Single Tracks podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about e bikes and e mountain bikes specifically. And I've got Greg and Aaron with me here today to talk about this topic. Hey, hey guys. guys. Okay. So, Greg, I want to just start off with a real brief recap of the EMBA e-bike presentation at Interbike back in September. You were there, and you got to hear about a study that they recently did involving e-bikes. Yeah, I, was, I had heard about it um, via word of mouth, so I was pretty interested to show up and see what EMBA had found out. Essentially, EMBA did like a back-to-back comparison study on a very sort of set segment of trail that had different features in the trail. So climbing turns, descending turns, flats, a good variety of different trail features. And they ran, well, their initial intention was to run 500 laps of that trail on both a regular mountain bike, an e-bike, and a dirt bike. And then along the trail, they measured the soil displacement in a certain set of intervals. Find all the numbers and details in different places, but essentially they're measuring soil displacement after all these laps. So I said their initial intention was to do 500. They didn't do nearly that many with the dirt bike because they were causing so much trail damage with the dirt bike. Um, so they just, after a while, they canceled the dirt bike. Continue with the e-mountain bike and the mountain bike. And essentially, long and short of the study is, e-bikes have more impact than mountain bikes, but much less than dirt bikes, which was one of those no-duh moments. But... I guess it's good for IMBA and other management people to have actual numbers to go along with, you know, what we all assumed all along. Right. So those are the initial findings of the study. And we claim they're still doing further analysis of the data. So maybe something else pop up. Okay. That's interesting. I also want to talk about just last week there was a another news item about e-bikes, and that was California recently came out with an amended definition of e-bikes. And basically what this did was it changed the categorization of e-bikes away from regulations that are, are suited for things like mopeds and puts them closer in line with the regulations for bikes. So California distinguishes between different types of e-bikes. There are three different classes. Class 1 e-bikes are pedal assist bikes that are regulated to stay under 20 miles an hour. Class 2 bikes are throttle bikes. So you don't actually have to pedal to get these up to 20 miles per hour. And then class three bikes are pedal assist electric bikes that are allowed to go up to 28 miles an hour. And so what California said was that these class one and class two pedal assist and throttle under 20 mile an hour bikes are allowed anywhere that regular bikes are allowed. And so this means mountain bike trails. It also Local jurisdictions are allowed to make their own rules about these Class 1 and Class 2 bikes, so they're able to keep them off of certain trails if they want to. But for now, uh, Class 1 and Class 2 e-bikes are allowed on trails in California. Now, it's important to note that most of the e-mountain bikes that we've seen on the market 
are actually class one type bikes where they're pedal assist and they're limited to just 20 miles an hour. Given these developments, I wanted to ask you guys, what do you think about e-mountain bikes? Are e-mountain bikes on the trail inevitable? Are we going to be seeing this popping up in more places around the country? Well, I guess uh, it depends if you mean uh, legally or illegally. Yeah, I think that you know we'll, we'll start to see e-bikes on trails eventually, but it's not going to be immediate you know if you if you look at some of the prices of these things these aren't these aren't cheap bikes they're not they're not geared towards your beginner rider for instance specialized turbo levo is 7500 bucks felt's dual e is 5700 bucks lapierre's overvolt is 5500 those are all full suspension trail bike e-bikes but you know even hardtails with pretty entry-level components on them are still in the $2,500 to $3,000 range. So, you know, I, I, I don't foresee this becoming an immediate issue, but I, I think it'll be kind of like fat bikes. You know, you see a lot of coverage of fat bikes everywhere, but at least in, in Georgia, in practice, I don't, I don't see that many out on the trails. Sure. You know, I do think we need to define sort of what trails we're talking about. You know, are we talking on motorized trails or are we talking – on mountain bike, you know, non-motorized trails like that have been classically defined as non-motorized. And I think that's sort of the distinction. You know, I think that's what people are generally talking about. But I think it's important to note that there's tons of single track out there, awesome single track that's already open to dirt bikes, which is totally compatible with e-bike use. But as to whether, you know, e-bikes on currently motor illegal trails is inevitable, I say no. I mean, look at mountain bikes in wilderness areas. The science has already determined that mountain bikes have much less impact on the trail than a horse, but we're still banned in the wilderness. It's not because of the science. It's not um, even because of the popularity of mountain biking. You'd think mountain bikes in wilderness would be a no-brainer, but apparently it's not. So I wouldn't say e-bikes are a no-brainer either. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I mean, the California ruling almost makes it sound like e-bikes are not motorized. I mean, that's kind of what they're saying, that these these are not motor vehicles and they're really bicycles, which is interesting. I think you're right that there needs to be a distinction between motorized and non-motorized trails. And like you said, there are plenty of places you can already ride an e-bike legally. But the question is really, what about all the other trails that people are already riding bikes on? Yeah, so I think that's the real question there. And I think when we look at current you know, mountain bike access and the lack thereof, I don't think anything is inevitable or anything is we can take anything for granted. You know, Mountain bikes are still losing access to trails that we've had and been riding for decades now, and we're still losing access in some part of the nation. And that's on non-motorized bicycles. So you know, I don't think we can take anything as inevitable. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too that Emba is doing this study and you know, it definitely doesn't doesn't say anything about sort of what their policy position will be, but you know, there's a lot more to access than just the science of it. Like you said, even though mountain bikes have less impact on trails than horses, we're still not allowed on certain trails. So really mm-hmm. it's not about, you know, whether these things damage trails or not. It's about other things as well, about the speed of travel on the trail and, and just generally what the public in a lot of ways thinks about this kind of use on trails. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely like it's like politics, you know, it, or it is politics. It's not necessarily about the right and the wrong. It's like about the power struggle taking place. At least that's my opinion. Right. And uh, so Imba did reiterate their position on e-bikes during their presentation, but post e-bike study, they haven't changed their position in the past several years. And their previous position paper essentially say that they don't think that e-bikes are mountain bikes and Currently, they don't advocate for e-mountain bike use on non-motorized trails. They say, you know, as the National Forest says, you can take them anywhere a motor is allowed. That's kind of where Imbus currently at. Whether or not that could change in the future is up for debate. Right. You know, we've written a few articles about electric mountain bikes in the past, and it seems a lot of readers are, are really opposed to e-bikes. We've even seen some mountain bike publications refusing to cover them at all, you know, sort of taking a position that these aren't mountain bikes. We've even had some of our readers threatening to stop reading single tracks just because we post a a story about an e-mountain bike. Why do you guys think that mountain bikers are so opposed to e-bikes? Well, you know, we all enjoy new tech, you know, the stuff that makes our bikes lighter, makes them stiffer, makes them stronger, more capable, that let us ride faster and longer. Even single speeders who would consider themselves purists, I guess, they still ride ultralight carbon frames and use disc brakes. But I think the point is, you know, you have to draw the line somewhere. And for a lot of people, including me, when you add a motor to a bike, any motor, whether that's a gas motor or an electric motor, you fundamentally change what it is. You know, it's it's no longer a bicycle. You know, there's a Mark Linderetz who uh, owns a component company he's got a great t-shirt that says motor plus bike equals motorbike and i think that just sums it up perfectly you know i mean access issues aside and whether it's right or wrong once you put a motor on a bike it's it's a motorbike it's no longer just human powered i don't care if you say it's pedal assist or throttled or whatever that doesn't that doesn't change the fact that you fundamentally altered what a bicycle is yeah, I totally agree with everything Aaron said. And on top of that, I just want to say, like, mountain biking in its very nature is really hard and painful. Honestly, like, I've done a lot of sports, and mountain biking is one of the most difficult things I've ever done. And I don't think riders are in mountain biking to to take it easy. Even if you're downhilling, like, that's challenging. That's painful in a different way when you crash. I feel like e-bikes are just – talk about making, like, the – barrier of entry easier you know people are in you know worse shape can get out on the trails people that are older people with injuries which is all well and good but i don't think any current mountain bikers ride because it's easy because it's definitely not easy right so when you look at the current segment of mountain bikers especially the ones that you know identify as mountain bikers ride their bikes regularly you know they're doing it day in and day out and it hurts and it's a lot of work, but they still do it anyway. Right. So I think there's sort of that stigma against making this struggle easier, you know? Yeah. Well, so why do you guys think that it's more accepted in Europe? I mean, is it is it that the Europeans are more accepting of other perspectives and other other ways to enjoy the sport? Well, so one thing I have to add in, I'm not European, so I don't really know. But, you know, we say it's more accepted in Europe, but... I was in Sweden. I spent a lot of time talking with Leo Ranta, who is you know in the know on everything Swedish mountain biking. And so we talked about trail access issues. 
They have this really cool thing that roughly translates to every man's right, saying that every man has the right to travel across open land if he's not destroying the land. But this every man's right translates to people on foot. I double have to double check on people on horses. I don't even believe it's people on horses. Essentially, it boils down to human power travel. And so I asked him about e-bikes because I'd heard they're big in Europe. And he was like, well, you can ride e-bikes in this, this, and this places, but every man's right doesn't translate to people on e-mountain bikes. So we say it's like more accepted in Europe, but I really don't know how accepted it is. Right. Just yeah, maybe it's, maybe it's just that there are a lot of European companies that are pursuing this, and maybe they're farther along in terms of lobbying and advocating for the sport there. And that's why we're seeing it. Right. I think that could definitely be be part of it. And I I just I want to be clear, I'm not necessarily anti e-bike. I just think that as I said before, once you add a motor to a bike, it's just no longer a bicycle. And that's why I think it's a good thing that California is taking steps to classify these things. And you know, whatever comes out in the wash politically in terms of access, you know, that's fine. You know, I'm I'm willing to to live with that. You know, I have, I have no problem with multi-use trails. I have no problem riding trails where, you know, motorcycles are allowed or horses are allowed. We can all get along, but I think what pisses a lot of people off is when, you know, manufacturers are are here at least seem seem to be pushing them as, oh, this is this is just a just like a mountain bike, you know, when it's not. You know, you add a motor, it's it's not it's not a mountain bike anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, I definitely reiterate what Aaron said in that I think we can share trails with all sorts of users. I mean, I share trails with motorcycles and horses all the time, not to mention hikers. But what you said about accepting whatever comes out in the wash with trail access, like I wouldn't go that far because what I'm scared of personally, I mean, maybe this is just fear talking, but if these things get classified the same as mountain bikes, we're already losing mountain bike trail access in key places like Montana. Like how much faster are we going to lose access? If these become lumped in with non-motorized mountain bikes and we consequently start to lose more trail access like that's when i think we're really going to ha- start having an issue right well, that, that that was my point about the california classifying them you know at least they're putting them in a different category you know sure that's, sure that's uh i think that's going to be important because they're recognizing that you know no this is not the same thing as a bicycle Yeah, I don't necessarily think that that's what the California ruling said. I mean, my reading of it said that class one and class two are same as bicycles. So they're not classifying them differently. But I don't know if you guys read it the same way. Well, I think what they're, I think, I think it's complicated. (laughs) I think they're classifying them differently. They're classifying them as class one and class two electric bicycles. However, they're granting those electric bicycles access to, non-motorized bicycle trails by default. However, if the local government can then make regulation you know, banning the Class 1 and Class 2 electric bicycles, that means there's a different sort of separation between those and bicycles. Right. That can be used, but is not being used by the new law. Like, the new law doesn't stipulate any difference between them for now, but it could. People it could. can go back and Right. I mean, potentially a land manager could say, okay, this is a mountain bike trail and class one and two bikes are not, e-bikes are not allowed. So if you have that kind of flexibility, I think California kind of just gave, gave a really broad 
blanket, I guess, for, uh, for the categorization. And then if local trail systems can make their own decisions in terms of what's allowed on their trails, probably yeah, a good way I think to go that's about the it. the coolest takeaway from the whole California thing is they're putting a lot of the power in the hands of the local land managers. And I think what we've run into with mountain bike access issues on the negative side and losing access is where the power is held in D.C., you know, to decide what takes place on trails all across the nation, especially with wilderness areas. You know, honestly, the not you know the sustainable coalition, um, which we've written about on the site before, is against um, any sort of motorized activity in wilderness, including e-bikes. But the way they're hoping to open wilderness access is very similar to what California just did. They want non-motorized mountain bikes with no e-bike motor. Let me clarify that to have access to wilderness by default, but they don't want to open necessarily all wilderness. They want local land managers to be able to decide what trails in the wilderness are opening bikes and what aren't, you know? So I think that's sort of almost what California is doing. Like they're saying by default, e-bikes are allowed, but land managers can decide in their local area. And I think that's sort of what we need to happen with regular mountain bikes in wilderness areas. Right. So um, I think that's kind of an interesting takeaway. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how many of the local groups decide to ban them and how many decide to just keep the this current regulations in place. So, Greg, I know you've ridden an e-bike a couple times on the trail. What did you think about it? Yeah, I'd ridden a few e-bikes. I rode the first couple of e-bikes a few years ago at Interbike, and then this year at Outer Bike, they had some e-bikes tests. So I figured I should give it a shot and try it out just to see what my current stance on the issue was. And it was, you know, it was an interesting experience. You know, I had a lot of, I've written arguments against e-bikes in the past. And um, after my discussion with the people at Labouffe and my ride, like some of them were justified, which was kind of interesting. But to begin with my ride, like I honestly didn't have that great of a time. And it's partially because of access issues. We're riding in the Moab brand trails all the single track of which is non-motorized. And the Moab BLM has said e-bikes have a motor, so they're only allowed on motorized trails. So the e-bike test loop was essentially a flat, pretty boring 4x4 road. And I was like, this kind of sucks, you know? Like, I can move along at a pretty good pace. So the only thing cool about it is I'm getting done with this stupid loop faster than if I had, <laughs> you know, not been pedaling. You might think it's kind of dumb, but it kind of speaks to, like, where the issue is at. Can't get on the really enjoyable trails and what the heck is the point, you know? Right. I think that's why you're seeing a lot of the lobbying by these e-bike companies to get exactly. trails opened up. Well, yeah, the companies... So, you know, in the e-bike panel that IMBA did, there was a bunch of people, they are giving their opinions from different sides of the e-bike issue. And it was super interesting to hear from the people that owned and worked for the companies that sold e-bikes because they were like, we need to fight for e-bikes on non-motorized mountain bike trails. I'm like, obviously you're going to say that, you know, because you're standing to make millions or even, who knows, billions of dollars. Yeah, so it's it's an interesting situation for sure. Yeah. One of the things you mentioned, you know, I've I've ridden a couple of e-mountain bikes, and one of the things you mentioned that I totally agree with is that e-bikes make the climbs easier, but then on the descents, you're stuck with a heavy awkwardly designed bike that kind of takes the fun out of descending. And as mountain bikers, we all kind of accept the fact that climbing is going to suck. And so an e-bike makes it suck a little less. But the reason we do those climbs is to really 
enjoy going down and e-bikes really tend to kind of harsh that downhill anyway. Yeah, and I experienced that on my test ride um, just a few weeks ago in outer bike. So I was riding what California is now defining as a class one e-bike, pedal assist up to 20 miles an hour. So on the flats and even some of the climbs, I could get that thing going up to 20 miles an hour and then the you know, then the engine would kick off and I'd still be running at about 20. When I turned to go down, granted I was in the mountains, so I didn't have like super long, super steep extended downhills, but I did have some descents. I still couldn't get it up past 20 because, you know, the motor would kick off as I'm pedaling down like these grades at about 20, but then you're stuck with a 50 pound bike that you can't really pedal up much faster than that. So I found it started equalizing my speed across the whole loop. Right. I basically did about 20 miles an hour, no matter if I was going flat, up, or down, which means it was a faster overall average time. But like you said, I like to, I can easily hit 30 miles an hour or more on my mountain bike on single track. So, yeah, and these things don't corner well. And I mean, yeah, I guess, I guess the takeaway is that they kind of make the lows better, but they make the highs worse and kind of flatten the mountain bike experience, which isn't what most people are looking for anyway. <laughs> Based on what we've talked about here today, are there any mountain bike applications where e-bikes make sense or, or are there places where maybe they should be allowed that they're not currently allowed? Uh, if the trails have been designed with e-bikes in mind or if a trail system decides to permit e-bikes, I, I, you know, I have no problem sharing the trail with them, as I said earlier. As long as it's okay with the, the trail system, I don't personally have any problem with it. So I feel like you asked a couple of questions. Are there mountain bike applications where e-bikes make sense? And are there places where they should be allowed where they aren't currently? And so I'd answer those two things differently. So on the second question, I would, I'm would i still sort of an anti-allowing them on non-motorized trails camp because they're motorized. However, um, like I mentioned before, we have literally hundreds of miles of motorized single track in the mountains around me and you add in the 4x4 roads and the double track and it's pretty impressive trail system. I've ridden some scree filled climbs where I'm like wow if I had like a little bit of a motor here you know I could probably maintain some traction some forward motion but under my own power I couldn't. Those times I was like hmm e-bike would be nice but when I look at the $5,600 price tag on the rather clunky e-bike I rode at Outer Bike and then I look at a $700 dirt bike that almost pulled the trigger on the other day. Like it's hard to <laughs> justify paying almost $6,000 for an e-bike. I could get a 400cc dirt bike for 700 bucks. The suspension fork on my mountain bike alone is worth 50% more that than, than that entire dirt bike was. So <laughs> Right. Well, this has been a fun discussion, guys. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having us. Be sure to subscribe to the Single Tracks podcast. You can find us in iTunes, SoundCloud, and directly via RSS feed. Have a good one. <laughs>